beginning a new series this week leading into Easter, and I'm really excited to share with you uh, what I feel like the Lord has laid upon my heart for us today. I want to talk to you about a word. It's this word right here, forever. Forever is really not a human word. It's very difficult for us to comprehend the word forever. Forever is something that is left in the realm of God and eternity, but in our human thinking, forever is a difficult thing for us to encapsulate in our mind. We have a tough time grasping this word and this concept, forever. But in uh, Titus chapter 1 verse 2, it says this, it says that this truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life which God, who does not lie, promised them from before the world began. You see, forever is a God-type word. Forever is the kind of language that God uses. In fact, this scripture verse talks about God giving us confidence about eternal life. So if we were talking about if our lifespan was the width of this podium this morning, this is talking about how God can give us confidence for eternal life indefinitely that direction. That's how God thinks. Forever in that direction is what eternal life is. But this scripture also talks about, it says that God who does not lie promised them before the world began. So if this is our life, it's almost as if God is forever in that direction as well, before the world began. That God is a forever type God. That we are, are finite, we are encapsulated to 80 years or however much time God has given us on this planet, but God doesn't work in human terms. God is a forever type God. Easter is a forever type moment. In fact, there were things that happened on Easter that so changed this world forever. In fact, there are people in this room right now that because of Easter, their lives were changed forever. They aren't even the same person that they used to be. Because of the concept of Easter and what Jesus did on the cross and how he rose again from the grave and how that was done for us and it was forever. Guys, as we lead up into this series heading towards the Easter season, it's going to be a series of hope and encouragement to your heart. And if we are going to look at how things changed that day when Jesus died on the cross, we have to look at a concept that is found in the Old Testament. You see, many people ask when they come to hear the Easter story for the first time, or maybe they're not really um, they're not really understanding uh, the Bible story of Jesus dying on the cross. Many people have this question in their mind. They say, why did Jesus have to die? Jesus, the, everything we read about Jesus, he was such a good person. He helped people. Couldn't there have been another way rather than him having to die? He was innocent. Why, why did Jesus have to die, and why is that such a big deal? But what we have to understand is in order for you to get the concept of why Jesus had to die, we have to understand how important blood was in the Old Testament. Now, I know that sounds really odd, but if you take your Bibles this morning, I want us to turn to Exodus chapter 12, 
verses 1 through, or excuse me, 11 through 13. Exodus chapter 12, verses 11 through 13. What was going on, the context of this verse of what's happening here, is that Moses had gone to Pharaoh nine times. And every time he went to Pharaoh, he said, there's going to be another plague if you don't let the people of God leave. And each time Pharaoh would harden his heart and he said, no, I'm not going to allow the people to leave. I'm not going to allow them. And so Moses continued to say, well, then there's going to be another plague that will come upon the land. And Moses had done this nine times. And up to this point, this day, he just went into Pharaoh and and gave the tenth warning. And he said, Pharaoh, please listen. If you do not let the people go right now, this tenth and final plague will come upon you and you don't want it to happen. Pharaoh hardened his heart and said, no, we're not going to let the people of God go. And so what is happening here is that Moses, uh, God speaks to Moses and tells the people to prepare to leave Egypt because this last and final plague is going to blow the doors off of Pharaoh. And so God tells them to prepare. And what he tells them to do is he says, I want you to take a perfect lamb for a household, and I want you to kill that lamb, and when you kill it, I want you to take and drain the blood into a bowl. Then I want you to eat the lamb, I want you to prepare it and and eat it, but keep the blood, because the blood's really important. And the, the family must take the blood of the sacrificial lamb, and they were to take a a hyssop branch or a branch of kind of like a bush and they would take the bowl and they would they would take the branch and they would sprinkle the blood God said sprinkle the blood on the doorpost of the outside door of your house almost as if they were painting or spraying blood around the doorpost of their house it said it's very important every house must apply the blood of the perfect lamb to the doorpost of the house because what's going to happen during the night is there's going to be th- this, this death angel that will come and visit every house in the entire region. And what's going to happen is the death angel is going to take the life of every firstborn son of every household, and they will die. And so God was preparing the people here, and let's read this verse in Exodus chapter 12, verses 11 through 13. It says this, These are your instructions for eating the meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals. Carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn and every firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. So every firstborn son and animal. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt for I am the Lord. Make the blood on your doorposts, or, but the blood on your doorposts will be, serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So when this happened, what happened was, in the night, we see that the that the death angel or whatever they call it came around and this happened. And Pharaoh woke in the morning and his son that was to inherit his kingdom was dead, his firstborn son. As well as the Bible says that there was great weeping and crying throughout the entire region. In fact, you could hear it from afar. 
of all of the parents that were in mourning for their sons had died. And in that moment, Pharaoh said, get out. Leave. Those people had prepared. They had eaten the meal. They were ready. They were ready to go. And, and, and they left in that moment. That was what was surrounding there. All of the, the houses that had the blood applied to the doorpost of the house, all of them were passed over. Passed over. If you, I want us to flip over now to the New Testament in Luke chapter 22. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 22. Starting at verse 7. Luke 22 verse 7. It says this. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb was sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so that we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him at the house he enters. Say to the owner, the teacher asks, where's the guest room? Where can I eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up where you should prepare the meal, prepare our meal. They, they went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is going to the cross just hours from making this statement and celebrating what meal with the disciples? Passover. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus is talking or, or it's like this language around this entire celebration that the people had. Much like the blood of the lamb at Passover, one life would be sacrificed for another. One would die so that the other could go free. Isn't that amazing? Just like the lamb that was sacrificed, it had to die so that the firstborn son, when applied, could go free, so that he could live. But Jesus goes on and continues talking about the Passover here. Continue on in verses 16 through 20. It says, For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks for it, and he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God is come. Verse 19, he took some of the bread and gave thanks for it, and he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Verse 20, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. See the connotation here between the Passover lamb and the lamb of God, Jesus Christ? He said, this is the blood. The blood is so important here. 
And as all of the Jews in the area, all of the people in that, in that moment in the city were celebrating this same Passover celebration, this same Passover, we see that Jesus had come to the city and his blood would be poured out. Jesus is the Lamb. He explains that he would be the sacrifice for you. His blood would be poured out for you. Why did Jesus have to die? Because Jesus is our Lamb. Many times in Scripture it expresses that Jesus is the Lamb and that He took our place so that we didn't have to die. In fact, one of those Scriptures, if you want to flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, First Peter 1, 18 and 19, it reads this way. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Mankind was trapped in his sin and God ransomed us. He paid so that we could go free. We, we needed a ransom paid. But the ransom was not mere silver or gold. The ransom was something far more precious. It was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. It was the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb was applied in our place and the lamb dies, and we go free. Hebrews 9.28. Hebrews 9.28, flip over to that. Hebrews 9.28 reads this way. So also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And he will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. The Bible says that Jesus died once for all time. Jesus died once forever. He died once for all time. And the Bible says that 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 one time was, was the perfect sacrifice for all mankind. And, and the Bible also goes on to say in this scripture verse, it says that, that Jesus died for once for all time to sacrifice, to take away the sins of many people. And, and in the future that Jesus will come back, the Bible says. That Jesus will come back, that he's not going to stay in heaven forever What Jesus did on the cross was complete, it was eternal, it was forever, but the lamb didn't stay dead. Like the lamb here that was sacrificed and eaten, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave, and the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's making intercession for us right now. And there will come a day, the Bible says, where the clouds will, and the sky will rip in part in two, and Jesus will come back in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, and in that moment, he will take up everyone who is waiting for him. It says that he will come a second time, not to bear sin again, not to die on the cross again, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. 
That's what it says he's going to do. The last picture of the lamb, we see the picture of the lamb in in the Old Testament. We see a picture of the lamb of Jesus dying on the cross. We see a picture of the lamb that was ransomed, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. We see a picture of the lamb coming back. And then in Revelation chapter 5, it shows us a picture of the lamb in all of his splendor, in all of his glory. Let's turn there real quick. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. If you flip there, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5, 11 through 13, it says this. It's a picture of the Lamb. Verse 11. Then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth And they sang, every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And all of them joined in the greatest chorus of all time, singing blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever. Forever and ever. In that moment, listen guys, Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, the Lamb secured forever. Jesus, being the Lamb, has overcome forever. So how do we apply this to our lives? What does this look like? If we're, we usually ask that question at each time in our services here. When the people were told by God at the beginning in, in Exodus to kill the lamb, there was something that they had to do. The lamb alone could not say, save any of the Israelites. The lamb, even dead, cannot save any of the Israelites. In fact, the lamb pouring its blood out into a basin could not save any of the firstborn sons. But only when the blood was applied to the doorpost of the house, that was when it could make a difference. That was when change happened. You see, the blood is not... The blood's power was in the application of the blood to the doorpost. That is where the blood's power was. You see, a lot of people in a similar case, Jesus died on the cross, and everyone must accept this gift, but you have to apply the blood to your life. And a lot of people, they they say, it's just good enough for Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus died for everybody, and that's okay. But there's an application point in our lives. You see, Jesus said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The problem is so many people think cognitively. They say, well, all I have to do is believe in God. I believe there's a God, so I'm okay. But it doesn't work that way. You see, just believing in God is is not the, the aspect. 
what, what is happening is people just say, well, I believe that there was a guy named Jesus and he exists, but this word, this word believe means to put your full faith and trust in. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever puts their full faith and trust in will not perish but have everlasting life. So here's the thing, guys. How do we apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our hearts? Well, it's an interesting concept. How do we apply this? You see, Jesus died, but it wasn't just that Jesus died that brings salvation to all mankind. You must accept the gift. You must apply the blood. So how do we apply the blood? It's found in 1 John chapter 1. So let's go there. This is our last verse tonight, or this morning. 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. First John 1, 6 reads this way. It says, So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. What the Bible is saying here in this portion of Scripture, this is a pretty common passage of Scripture. I'm just backing up a couple verses here to give you the context of what's going on. What the Bible is saying here is really to apply the blood of Jesus Christ, there needs to be something that happens in our life, and it's called repentance. Repentance is the turning away from our sin and our lifestyle and, and going after Jesus fully and wholly, putting our full belief and trust in Jesus Christ. It says that that. So we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. There are a lot of people that cognitively say, well, I believe in God so I can live my life any way that I want. But the reality of it is, in order to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to your heart today, is that there needs to be a transformation that happens. Now, when we turn from our sin, that's our action, that's our application right there. We turn from our sin. God gives us the power to live free from sin, okay? I'm not saying that anyone's perfect here. We all fall and, and struggle and different things like that. But we have to take an action where we say, I am turning from the old lifestyle that I used to live. I'm turning from my sin, and I'm repenting. So it says, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living, if we go on living in spiritual darkness, we are not practicing the truth. Verse 7, but we are living in the light. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It cleanses us from all sin. So we see that, that when we turn, when we turn and we come to God and we say, God, forgive, forgive me of my sin. Uh, I, I want to turn from this lifestyle. I want to walk in this direction. I want to serve you. I want to believe in you. I want to trust you. Then in verse 8 it says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. You see, guys, by repenting and turning and confessing before God, that is how we apply the blood of Jesus Christ to our life. See, the lamb in and of itself could not save the people. The dead lamb could not save the people. Even the lamb's blood in a bowl could not save the people. It was until they took and they applied the blood over the doorposts 
of the door, that was when they were saved. And my question for you this morning is, maybe you have cognitively said, well, I believe in God, all of these things, but the reality of it is, is you've never really, and I don't want to get, I don't want to use so many word pictures that you lose what I'm trying to say. But maybe you said, I believe in God and all these things, but your life has never been transformed and you've never truly applied the blood of Jesus Christ to the doorposts of your heart. You've never truly repented and said, God, I'm going all in. I'm I'm serving you 100% right now. Today is the day that I apply the blood on my heart. Today is the day. You see, guys, Jesus died on the cross but we must take the action, in a sense, apply the blood. So this morning, Jesus, the Lamb, has provided the way for salvation, the way to avoid hell, the way to have eternal life. In fact, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is what I'd like us to do this morning. If everyone could just bow your heads right where you're at. I want you to seriously, every person in the room, seriously take introspection on your own heart right now. You know what? You can talk a lot about church. You can talk about religion. You can say, well, I go to church. I'm a good person. I believe in God. All these kind of things. But have you truly sold out to Jesus Christ? Have you truly, truly Have you turned from your life of sin? Because the Bible says that if you're saying, oh, I'm good, I'm all right, you're really lying to yourself. And my question for you this morning is, have you applied the blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, to your heart, to the doorpost of your heart? So this is my question. I'm not even going to ask for a response this morning. Not a person raising a hand, not a person getting up from your seat, anything like that. There's nothing... This is between absolutely you and God, not even you and the next person beside you. In this moment, my question for you today is, have have you applied the blood of Jesus Christ to your life? Have you received the gift of salvation through repentance through turning away from all of those things that your life is full of right now? Through repentance and forgiveness and have you confessed your sin before God and said, God, will you forgive me? There's so many times that I stray away from you. There's so many times that I fall. There's so many times that I struggle. And in this moment, God, I come before you and I repent and I turn. Guys, it is a choice to serve Jesus Christ. You must choose to serve Jesus Christ. Have you made that choice and commitment today to fully and wholly turn from your old lifestyle and repent and go in the opposite direction and say, God, will you come into my life? Will you transform me and change me So right now in your heart of hearts, if that's you this morning, you say, you know what, Pastor Sheldon, I've been playing the game, I've been just going to church, I've just been doing my own thing, but today I want to truly repent. Then in this moment, you just have to simply say a prayer before God in all sincerity. You just say, God, listen, 
Forgive me for the things that I've done. I'm turning from my old life and I want to serve you with reckless abandon from this day forward. I want to serve you and love you, God. I commit myself to you. And the Bible says that if you confess your sin before him, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sin and purify you from all unrighteousness. And in that moment, the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to your life and to your heart. So maybe you prayed that prayer this morning. And God wants to do something incredible in your life. He wants to change your life. He wants to transform your life in a powerful way. So I just want to pray right now for each person in this room. Heavenly Father, we just pray, God, that that you would come in a powerful way and you would convict of sin where necessary, Lord Jesus, that you would cause us to be drawn towards you, God. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was provided in our place. And Lord Jesus, we, we ask that, God, you would forgive us. God, that, you would, that we repent before you, Lord Jesus, for anything that would hold us uh, out of right relationship with you. And God, we're asking that you would cause our hearts, Lord Jesus, to be covered with the blood of Jesus Christ in this moment. So God, we're asking that you would pour out your spirit in abundance upon our lives right now. That God, we would sense you uh, speaking and touching our hearts, Lord Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, there are a lot of people that, that, um, that struggle with, with churches that don't openly that don't openly cause people to like either get up and come to an altar or different things like that. But you know what, guys? What God is doing inside of your heart is a very personal thing. But there is a, there is a proponent of salvation that is very public, okay? And this is where it is. In fact, um, it's, called, it's called being baptized. It's a public declaration of your faith before all of, all of your friends, all of your family members, and everything like that. And the Bible talks about that uh, quite often in, in the Gospels. It's a public declaration of your Christian faith that you want to serve Jesus Christ. And um, basically, we're, we're going to have a baptismal service on April 12th. If you haven't been baptized before and you'd like to be baptized and you'd like to say, you know what, the things that God is doing in my life, I can see that I'm changing, that I'm transforming, and that I have asked forgiveness for my sin and God has changed my life. And at that point, you say, you know what, I want to make a public declaration that Jesus Christ has changed my life. What we're going to do is we're going to have a, we're going to have a big baptistry, and I'm not sure where we'll set that up yet, but we're going to have one in this room, and we are going to have, some people have already talked about being being baptized, and this is going to be an incredible, incredible Sunday. It'll be the Sunday after Easter. We are going to pack this room out. Every seat will be taken. There will be standing room only around the walls here. You are not going to have a parking spot, okay? So carpool that day. Because people that want to be baptized are making a public declaration. They're going to invite their, their co-workers. They're going to invite their families. They're going to invite their friends. And this place is going to be absolutely packed. And can I just say something? Don't complain about the parking that day. And this is why. Because if you haven't figured this out yet, guys, this is what revival looks like. People parking on Highway 85 all the way down. Okay? That's what, 
We can't, let's never curse the blessing of God. Let's never shake our fists and say, oh man, why? Let's just say, let's embrace it and say, thank you, Jesus, for changing people's lives. Here's to those not yet here. So that's exciting. We're going to be having, if you don't understand baptism or you don't understand what that means, um, some of you say, hey, I was baptized as, a, as an infant or a baby or something like that. What we're asking is that when Jesus has changed your life, that you would say, I, make a, I made a, pot, a cognitive decision in my life that, that I want to serve Jesus Christ. And at that point, the Bible said that people were baptized not not just because they were in the right place the right time as an infant, but they made a choice to serve Jesus Christ. And at that moment, they make a public declaration that I'm going to choose Jesus. So that's what baptism is. If you want to understand more about what it is, it's not being baptized into a church. It's not being baptized into a denomination. It's being baptized uh, that you're a, a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what it is. And so when, we, when people are baptized here, this, this time we're going to be having a baptismal class. If you want to understand more about it, it's going to be the Wednesday before Easter and the Wednesday after Easter. We'd ask that you would attend both of those classes. It's the first and the eighth. Is that correct, Pastor Chad? The first and the eighth. Uh, the, the Wednesday before and the Wednesday after. And we're going to have someone that's going to be sharing with you about baptism and how important it is and all of those kind of things and walk you through the steps of that. So we're really excited about what God is doing. So this morning, if God has transformed your heart or changed your life in a special way, and you said, and you want to make a public declaration of that, you're going to have the opportunity to do that here in a few weeks. So we're going to enter into the Easter season. We're excited about what Jesus Christ has done, that he has died. He is the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And now we ask, as we've asked him to apply the blood to our life, and at that point we say, you know what, I'm going to make a public declaration that I'm going to serve Jesus Christ for the rest of my life. So why don't you close in prayer with me this morning as we head out. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for what you're doing, Lord Jesus, in, um, in our lives, Lord, and all of the people that's lives have been touched this morning, God. Father, we're excited about uh, our upcoming baptism, Lord Jesus, and many people will make public declarations in that moment of their faith. And Father, it is just an awesome, awesome time to be serving you. God, we're so thankful for the great uh, momentum that you are stirring in our church, Lord Jesus, and in people's hearts and in their lives. And Father, we are so excited, God, about what you're going to do next. Father, we thank you today, Lord Jesus, that you sacrificed yourself on our behalf, that you were the lambs so that we could be passed over. And God, we thank you so much for that. We give you all the praise and all of the glory and all the honor. You are the lamb who has overcome forever. And we thank you, Jesus, for that. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord, bless you guys this morning. Why don't you greet someone as you leave today?